0: I'm Nation, I get people asking me all the time, how do I read so much as busy as I am? And the secret is, a lot of my reading people do for me. That's right, I use Audible. Audible is a service that will read books to you and allow you to get the content while you're driving from account to account. I've been using Audible for years and you can try it for free, one book and one month for free on me through our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Nation, new year, new month now. We're already in February. So, so much to do in 2022. I hope you mapped out what you wanted to get done this year. You've got 112th down. So, I hope you are heading into our second month strong. If you're not, you still have plenty of time to do that, but don't wait until the end to get some action done go ahead and think about some of the things that you want to get done this year. Think of some of the things that you want to do this year. Maybe there's some conferences you want to attend. Maybe there's somebody that you want to meet. I promise you there is somebody that you know that knows that somebody that you want to meet. But if you're not thinking about it, If you don't have it written down, if you're not actively working on it, it is never going to happen. So my ask, take a second and just ask yourself, what are the things that I want to accomplish? Write those things down and just by looking at them, writing them down and acting on them, you are going to have such a higher chance of getting those to complete. Nation, this is episode two. 37, if you could believe that. I'm sitting here at the same desk that I've always been at since we started this podcast. Well, I'm trying to think. No, I think I actually have a different desk. It looks exactly the same, but it is now a standing desk. So I did some modifications to it. By the way, if you do not have a standing desk, you have no clue what you are missing. My friend, Charlie Cicchetti, He came on one of our earlier episodes. He was the one that told me I needed to do the podcast. Charlie's been on throughout the years with the podcast. He has his own podcast that he does within the green building space. Charlie's just been a great friend and great advisor. He told me I needed to get a standing desk. Charlie's given me such good advice. I didn't even question it. I went out, I found a standing desk. Actually, that's not true. I always question Charlie. I will always come back with some sort of an objection to Charlie and he's always got an answer for me. I told Charlie, I did not want a standing desk because I knew that there would be times that I would want to sit at a desk and I didn't want to always stand. He said, great, because they actually go both positions. You can program the desk to be in a standing position or be down in the regular sitting position. So he had an answer for that. I had no more excuses, and I'm sure glad that I did. I just think better when I stand. I'm able to come up with ideas, and I'm able to bounce back and forth if I have somebody come into my office, and they ask me a question, and then I need to get back to whatever I was working on. I just seem to be able to do that better. Now, when I started this show, I had no idea I was going to be telling you about a standing desk. But that is one of the things that has really changed how well I've been able to work. And if anybody has an iWatch, you know that thing is always telling you to stand because we know the health benefits when we stand more than we sit. Well, if your desk allows you to do that, your watch is going to bug you a lot less. Nation, here are some things that are coming up that you probably want to mark your calendars with. And the first thing is the National Groundwater Association is having their hydrology webinar series. Now, this is a virtual event taking place on February 9th. And if this is something that you are interested in, by all means, come to our show notes page, scalinguph2o.com. And we will have that information for you. It was actually a hydrologist that really got me interested in water treatment. And I know you're thinking, Trace, your dad got you interested in water treatment. And yes, you're right, but he was my father. So my father couldn't do anything cool. But I remember, I think it was third grade, there was a hydrologist that came in and they showed us slides at the time. And they had all these different slides of where they would work and how they were out in the environment. And they were testing water. They could tell what was in the water. They could do things with those tests. They could remediate. They could do all these things. And I just thought that was cool. And I'm pretty sure I went home and I told my dad about this awesome guy that came and talked about a career in water. And something probably like I had never considered that or even knew that that was a thing. And my dad probably smacked me in the head and said, that's what I do. That's what you've seen me do. You just don't see what your parents do. And for those parents out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So that's one event. Another event is the American Water Works Association, together with the Water Environment Federation, is having their Young Professionals Summit on February 21st in Orlando, Florida. This summit is a workshop for young professionals exploring the role in the water treatment industry and discussing how they can best serve the water sector as a whole. More information on this on our show notes page. Also, the International Water Association is having their conference on water and wastewater technologies March 27th through April 2nd in Reno, Nevada. More information on that on our show notes page. And the other thing I want to mention is one of my absolute favorite things and something that I just look forward to every single year is the Association of Water Technologies technical training seminars. We do two every year. Well, that actually is not true. We didn't do two last year because of COVID. We didn't do two the year before that because of COVID. But this year, we are doing two. So we are going to be in Seattle, Washington, February 23rd through 26th. And then we're going to be in Cleveland, Ohio, March 3rd through April 2nd. Folks, I love seeing you there because I get the privilege of being one of the trainers. I do the sales training. I do some of the fundamentals and applications training. And I also do math over in the technical training. I always get so many great comments about the show and also so many good ideas about what I'm going to talk about on this Scaling Up H2O podcast from these events. But more than anything, I just love meeting you. I love hearing that you're listening to this show, it's doing something for you, you like the direction that it's going, or you have some ideas for the direction. So by all means, if you're in the same sector of water treatment that I am, go to awt.org or you can go to our show notes page and we'll send you over there to the technical training page you need to come to these seminars. They always sell out. So you want to make sure that if you want to go, go ahead and sign up today and make sure you tell me hello when you get there. Scaling Up Nation, some of my favorite shows to do are when you ask questions to the Scaling Up H2O mailbag on how to do something. I love it because I know we're talking about the right stuff. Now, how do you get something into the Scaling Up H2O mailbag? Well, that could not be simpler. Simply go to ScalingUpH2O.com and you have two ways to do that. The easiest way is on the right-hand side of the screen. You can click on leave voicemail and that will allow you to easily record your voice and we can air that on this fine podcast or... You can go to our show ideas page by navigating up in the header and you can type out exactly what your idea is. So, that's exactly what this person did. They want to know all things about cleaning a cooling tower. What are the do's and the don'ts? When should it be scheduled? All of that stuff, we're all treating cooling towers. Most of us are treating cooling towers. We all know that they need to be cleaned. So what else do we need to know around that? Nation, getting to the core of this question is around scheduling how often a cooling tower needs to get cleaned. But here's the thing. Scheduling deals with a bunch of unknowns. We just don't know how dirty that tower's going to get within a particular amount of time. Also, we normally find that towers are cleaned as a reactive approach, that something's not working right instead of a proactive approach. Now, I have a customer that told me one time that they actually, they were were a prospective customer at the time. They have a little better way of thinking about things after working with us. But they told us that they clean their cooling tower every four years, whether it needed it or not. Folks, that is not being proactive by any stretch of the imagination. So that begs the question, how often do we need to clean our cooling tower? And to answer that, we need to look at two things, how a cooling tower works and how water treatment is able to perform what it needs to do once it gets in the water. So let's look at a definition of what a cooling tower is. A cooling tower is a heat exchanger. That is the baseline, very bottom definition, a cooling tower is a heat exchanger. How does it exchange that heat? It exchanges that heat by air and water being brought into direct contact with each other. And then that air takes the heat, thereby reducing the heat within the water. And then that cooled water goes into the system, grabs more heat, and it just does the process all over again. So knowing what a cooling tower does We know we need as much air to touch, as much water as possible, and we call this surface area. Just imagine if the cooling tower supply line, the big pipe that goes on the top of the cooling tower, was not broken up in any way and it was just allowed to drop completely through the center of the cooling tower the only surface area would be the outside of that eight plus inch water column. Maybe it's a 20 inch water column, not a lot of surface area. So the only place that the air could come in contact with that warm water is on the very edges. And the bulk of all that water is now protected within the water, not seeing any of that air, we're not getting any heat transfer. That's why a cooling tower, its job is to break up that water into tiny water droplets. And those are the tiny water droplets that you see falling through the cooling tower. And that is how a cooling tower can efficiently cool the water. Now, the pieces that specifically are in the cooling tower that help us get those water droplets are either a hot deck or distribution nozzles. So once all the water is piped back to the cooling tower, it then goes into a distribution deck. And a distribution deck is just basically a big platform that has a bunch of holes in it. And then underneath those holes are distribution nozzles to kind of swirl all the water around and get it evenly over the top of the tower fill. Now, the tower fill is made to keep all those water droplets as separated as possible and allow an interchange where we have as much surface area as possible for the air to interface with that water, thereby taking the heat from the water into the air, releasing it up into the atmosphere. So, we have cooler water able to go back and get more heat just to do the process over it again. Now, you might have a cooling tower that does not have a hot deck. And what it does, it just has distribution nozzles. And the point of that is, is it's just simply swirling around all the water, making it just like the other one making it go through the tower fill and of course the cleaner that all of these things are the more they're going to perform efficiently and when i say efficiently i mean they're able to keep those droplets as small as possible they're able to give as much surface area to the water and the air as much as possible Remember, a cooling tower is all about exchanging heat. Now, by default, the cooling tower also cleans the air that gets sucked into it. Yes, the same air that we're relying on to exchange the heat from the water has stuff in it. If somebody's cutting the grass right by the cooling tower the cooling tower will suck in all those grass clippings. If there are a bunch of trees around there, if they're doing construction, whatever is in the air is now in your water system because the cooling tower sucked it in with it. Anything that comes in with the air gets washed out as the cooling tower water comes in contact with it. And ultimately, that means you now as the water treater have to deal with it because now you have all this dirt and debris in the tower. It also means that wherever the debris decides to settle will reduce the designability of not only the cooling tower, but also every heat transfer surface that it comes in contact with. Now, let's look at the cooling tower first less surface area for the water to come in contact with the air, that means that the cooling tower is less efficient as a heat exchanger. Now, maybe at first you won't see the loss of the ability to cool the water, but you will see it in the amount of energy that is needed in order to efficiently cool that water. More energy means more cost to run the cooling tower. A lot of times, people look at cost as water treatment. They look at cost as I want to buy this new piece of equipment. Those are all costs. But a lot of times, they don't look back and say, How is this going to become an investment that the normal operation that I have to pay for is actually reduced? Thereby, once I pay back whatever that amount for that equipment is, I can now start enjoying the benefits of less operating costs because they're all working together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you what I hope you can do with your customers is take them into this discussion so they realize when you recommend a piece of equipment, it's not just a check that they are writing, it's an investment that they are making so their system either stays cleaner, but by all means is more efficient, thereby making it less expensive for them to run. The other thing that our recommendations do is we use less natural resources to get the job done. Well, of course, we've got to create that power from somewhere and then we have to pay for that power. So whatever your goal is to be greener, to save more green, we've got that covered with our water treatment recommendations. Now, the cooling tower not running efficiently, what does that mean? That means that the fan needs to come on more than if it would if the surface area were there. And why isn't the surface area there where all that dirt and debris is now in spaces that the water should be in? Or it's in spaces that are meant to. Uh, In the distribution nozzles to swirl out that water so we can get a large distribution area. If there's any dirt in those areas, it means we're going to have less heat transfer surface, and that means it's going to be less efficient. In order to overcome that, the fan of the cooling tower will have to come on. And of course, the fan takes energy. We have to pay for that energy. And there's your cost and there are your natural resources. Now, a lot of people think that the cooling tower cools the water by the fan coming on. And you know that you have seen that cooling tower operating without the fan being on. A cooling tower is a heat transfer device because it allows air to interface with water. And that interface is the heat exchange. Now, eventually, all the ambient air within that cooling tower will become heat saturated. And when that happens that's when the fan comes on to draw more air up and through that cooling tower so it can continue the process. So if the fan's coming on on cooler days and there's not much of load on that system, That could be a sign that we do not have good water distribution within the cooling tower. Again, it is a heat exchanger because we have to have a lot of surface area between that water and the air. And if there is dirt and debris in that tower somewhere, it is not allowing us to be Efficient. Now, how can you tell with this? Well, if you can get into the cooling tower, maybe you can stick your head in, maybe you can just simply take one of the louvers off and you can look in, you should be able to see a good even distribution. Now, if you look in and you see an area that looks like it's maybe white and has some evaporative salts on it, well, that's telling you that something is blocking the path of water to get there and that equals in efficiency. And by all means, whenever you're going inside a cooling tower, make sure you are keeping yourself safe. Make sure you're wearing gloves, If you are touching tower fill or tower louvers, sometimes those things can be sharp. So just make sure you are being protected. We've got fans in those things. And if you stick your head through a fan, when the belt starts rotating it around, you don't want to be there. So don't ever do that. So make sure you know exactly what you're doing before you go into the cooling tower And going into is a finger going into a cooling tower or just barely sticking your head into it. You are going into that space. Make sure you're always safe. And when you're there being safe, you're looking for good distribution. You're looking for all the surfaces to be wet. And if they are, Cooling tower is probably doing a pretty good job with distribution, but if you're seeing areas where it's not distributing, folks, it is not efficient, and we need to encourage our clients to get the contractors out there to either clean or repair or whatever needs to be done because a non-efficient heat transfer device is not doing a very good job at transferring heat. Now, if the cooling tower is not doing its job in transferring heat, it doesn't just stop there. Everything is now receiving more heat, which means the chiller has to work harder. Well, folks, if the chiller has to work harder, it's going to send even more heat to the cooling tower. Yes, that's the same cooling tower that wasn't able to get rid of all the heat like it was supposed to and then not to mention all the heat transfer surfaces out in the system that the design is meant to take the heat from. Now, we can overcompensate that. Again, the tower fan can come on. The chiller can work a little bit harder. And of course, that pump, if it has a variable drive on it, it's going to work a lot harder and a lot longer, again, equating That I need to run that system longer and harder, which means somebody has to pay for all the natural resources that are going into that machine, all because it is inefficient. So, that really gets into the why we need to clean a cooling tower, but we really haven't gotten into how often do we need to clean a cooling tower. So, My customer that said, we clean our cooling tower every four years, whether it needs it or not, I will give you a hint, that is not a good answer and that is never the right answer. But outside of that, how do you know how often a cooling tower needs to be cleaned? I heard my friend, Mark Lewis, tell one of his customers this once, And they asked him, how often should we be cleaning our cooling tower? Mark told them that the dirt that settles out on the bottom of the tower basin should never exceed one quarter inch. And I love this answer because it wasn't based on time. It was based on function. It was also based on making sure we were constantly observing what the tower was trying to tell us By the way, that's our superpower as water treaters. We have many. That's one of our superpowers is we are able to communicate with all this heat transfer equipment. And we can then relay the messages that it can't do itself to the people that own that equipment so they can do something with it. So this gets them involved with going out, looking at the cooling tower, seeing what the distribution is like, but also seeing how much debris is actually in the bottom of the cooling tower. And I know what you're saying, Trace, who really cares about the debris in the bottom of the cooling tower? There's no heat transfer that's taking place there. And you're 100% right. So certainly, if you have dirt and debris in the bottom of the tower basin, you know that on the heat transfer surfaces within the system, you are going to have dirt and debris there as well. And then we are not able to grab that heat in order for that process to take place. So that's just a, a quick and easy way to see you know, how often we should do that based on what the air is that's being pulled in, based on how long the tower's being run. But I also know you're probably thinking that we're leaving something out. Now, if you have been a longtime listener of the show, you know I preach the gospel of water treatment. And I don't preach the trinity of water treatment. I preach the quadrinity of water treatment. What I mean by quadrinity is we as water treaters need to deal with four areas in order to have a complete water treatment program. Now, those four areas, water's the universal solvent. Given enough time, water versus whatever you put it in, water will eventually corrode it. So we have to slow down that corrosion. Can't stop corrosion, but we can dramatically slow it down. The next thing is scale. We have a lot of dissolved solids within the water that we are treating and when that dissolved solids precipitates out and it will normally precipitate out on our heat transfer surfaces first, we need to make sure that that is minimized and or eliminated. The third item is microbial fouling. We know that things grow within our cooling systems. And we have to deal with that. Now, when I say we have to deal with that, I mean from an efficiency standpoint. Now, too often it's misunderstood what microbial fouling control means. And I'm here to tell you that it is efficiency, not Legionella. Now, you might be thinking, well, Trace, we've got to take care of Legionella, and you're right, but there's only so much we as water treaters can do without our customers committing to all the things that they have to do. They have to make sure that they're authorizing and paying for all the tests that we need to do to monitor that Legionella is being kept at bay they're the ones that need to initiate the plan on how we're going to do all of those things. Now, we can definitely be involved and we've got great information that we can share with them on that. But legally, we can't create that plan. We can't do that plan without them being involved with it. And then, of course, Doing the things that we need to above just an efficiency standpoint. Now we're trying to eliminate a specific species, and eliminate's not the right word, but people use that, which is why I bring it up. It's to keep it at bay, it's to monitor it. And when it gets to a certain level, Then we knock it down to another level. By the way, a successful Legionella program is not that you have no Legionella in the system ever. It's that you know how much Legionella is in the system and you are able to take corrective action to bring it back to a level that's not historically going to get people sick. And all that's laid out in the plan. So all that to say, we look at it for an efficiency standpoint. And then the last leg is general dirt and debris. Well, the cooling tower, it's a big air washer. It's sucking in all that air and anything that is in the air is now going to get washed out into the cooling tower. We talked about that before. And you're saying, well, Trace, my products don't do anything for that. How am I responsible for that? And I want to say, yeah, you're probably partially right. Our products do allow things to stay kind of fluid along with the water longer so we can do something with it. But if we don't have anything there to do something with it, then you're probably right. Now, what is the thing that we need there to do something with? Cue the entrance of The filter. That's right. We need some sort of filter. Now, somebody's probably also saying, Trace, you're talking about water chemistries and now you're talking about something mechanical that's out of the realm of water treatment. And it really depends on how you look at it. I really believe that you have to have mechanical and chemical or whatever type of water treatment you have working together or you're not going to have the best water treatment program that you have. Think about it. If you have a bunch of dirt and debris in the system, that's just going to allow a lot of places for this microbial stuff to start sitting down camp. If you have a bunch of uneven surfaces within the system, i.e. dirt and debris, you're going to have nucleation sites where you can precipitate out and start creating scale. And if we have all this dirt and debris that's sitting on our heat transfer surfaces, well, we can't get our great corrosion products to that surface and we're going to have corrosion. So they really have to work together or we're not going to be able to do our job properly. So with all of that, I call it the quadrinity. Still, the question is hanging out there. How often do we clean the cooling tower? And that, of course, depends on how much dirt and debris is getting sucked in and now how much dirt and debris is actually getting filtered out. And I hope that you see how important a filter is because the cleaner we can keep the heat transfer media, the cleaner we can keep the heat transfer surfaces, not only the longer that we can go in between cleanings. But the more efficient all of that equipment can be, and that is what's going to save the customer money, that is what's going to save everybody from using more natural resources than we have to. And now you're probably saying, Trace, I have talked to people about putting some sort of filtration, and yes, I'm specifically staying away from specific type of filtering devices. That's a show in its own. But for now, we're just going to talk about it as a filter. Well, when you put a filter on, the people that make the filters are very proud of them. And our customers a lot of times get sticker shock and they think, well, I've run for this long without one. I'm not going to invest X because it doesn't look like that I need it. I hope that through this conversation, you can see that there is an entire dialogue that you need to have with your customer to make sure that they understand the importance of making sure you're doing every single part of that quadrinity. And without a filter, folks, you just cannot do it. The cooling tower is bringing in debris with it every time any air comes in. We have to do something with that. So as you advising your customer, make sure they understand that it's not an expense. It is an investment. It's an investment that will give them a return over a certain amount of time. Now, how will it do that? Well, they're going to have to spend less money on operating all this heat transfer equipment. The heat transfer equipment is going to run more efficient for a longer period of time and you will be able to reduce the amount of cleanings that you have to perform. A lot of times we overclean to overcompensate for not having filtration in the system. So if all of those things are brought in front of your customer, you are now able to put that in comparison to however much that filter is. And then they can see after so many months, maybe it's even so many years that they will be making money back on that investment. And I hope that that is a totally different conversation for you to be able to get that fourth here, so we can have the quadrinity so we can have a proper and complete water treatment program. Remember, the quadrinity is the balance of chemical and mechanical working together so we can get the optimal job done. Nation, I just realized that I have not answered this person's question at all. They want to know what the do's and don'ts are of tower cleaning. But I thought it was so important for us to have this conversation before we even got into the one about tower cleaning. So, join us for our next Pinks and Blues episode where we are going to continue this conversation. We know why. Next episode of Pinks and Blues, we're going to talk about the what. Nation, a Zig Ziglar quote that I absolutely love is, someone doesn't need to be great to start, but someone does need to start in order to be great. I love that quote. And James is always trying to get us to start something new. And this year, he's getting us to think on water each and every week. Here's James.
1: Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're talking about testing interferences. What are the interferences in your water analysis test you run each and every day? How do you know your test results are not artificially high or low due to an interference? Do you know how to recognize an interference? Is iron an interference? high alkalinity, pH, chlorine, or other oxidizers? Is molybdenum an interference for iron testing in a closed loop? Read your test procedures, ask your technical support department, and search online. Take this week to think about and research test interferences and which ones may impact you the most. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's thinking on water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you.
0: James, thanks for that. And Nation, thank you for listening. Thank you to the individual that gave me this question. I know we haven't answered it completely yet, but I promise we will. And it was something that somebody sent in, I read, and I was able to think of all of these things that I wanted to share with you. I don't know if I would have gotten there had somebody not gone to ScalingUpH2O.com and either gone to our show ideas page and left their comments or left me a voicemail. So it's so important for you to share that because I'm thinking this is a episode that you are going to let your customers listen to and they're going to be able to understand where you're coming from. All that is from the Scaling Up Nation. So thank you, Scaling Up Nation, for making sure I always have something to talk about. And by the way, if you're out there in the Scaling Up Nation and you're wondering what else you can do wherever you consume this podcast, if you can put a comment about this show, That allows whatever that search engine is, whatever that podcast playing service is, it elevates us a little bit higher and it allows water treaters to find us a little bit easier. The Scaling Up Nation is well over a thousand strong and we are, I think, in 90-something countries. It is just amazing. And I hope every one of you out there that hears my voice Realizes that you are part of a community. We call that community the Scaling Up Nation, and you are not out there alone. There are other people that are doing the same type of job that you are doing, and they understand the same frustrations that you are. And when we get together as a community, I just think things get easier. So thank you, Scaling Up Nation, for being part of that community. I will make sure that I will keep the community strong by bringing another new episode to you next week. And stay tuned in a couple of weeks for our continuation of this episode. Have a great week, folks.
1: When the mastermind group was introduced, I said, Let me get in on this thing. I want to be a part of this. I want to learn how to be more productive. And uh, make my days to where I can enjoy my family time and separated from my work time. And so I like what Trace does. And so I said, I want to be, I want to do things a lot like Trace. So let me, let me figure out what he's doing. So that's why I joined the group.
0: To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.